Let's take you back to 2001. We've just had the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York and the UK and all its army bases are on high alert. Jeff Gray was 17. He was from Hackney in East London and he was serving at Deep Cut Army Barracks in Surrey. He was a trainee soldier and he died of two gunshot wounds to the head. Was Jeff shot by another recruit? Was he killed by an unknown attacker? Did he take his own life? More than 17 years after he died, his family is learning the truth about what happened in his final moments. This is the third case to be brought to Fresh Inquest following the deaths of the so-called Deep Cut Four. Private Sean Benton, Private Cheryl James and Private James Collinson, whose family is yet to secure a new inquest, all died within a six-year period. John Cooper QC is representing the Gray family, Jeff's mum Diane and dad Jeff Senior. I'm Kyle Ark and along with fellow journalist Barry Keevans, we'll be bringing you all the latest from the inquest into Private Gray's death. We'll bring you the highs and lows from court each week. We'll help you understand what's happening and who the key players are. We'll hear about underage soldiers drinking alcohol, security incursions on the camp and an anonymous letter sent to the family's legal team in the final weeks of preparation. And we'll hear much, much more. The inquest is expected to last for more than six weeks at Woking Coroner's Court. We'll be there every step of the way. This is Deep Cut, the inquest. So, Barry, well, you've been following this case for well over a decade. Give us a sense of what you've learnt about what kind of soldier Jeff Gray was and, and what kind of a boy he was. By all accounts, Jeff's short army career was very promising and uh, he absolutely loved his time in the army. His mum said that he was enthusiastic couldn't wait to get on and he saw it as a challenge that he was really up for. Everybody who came into contact with him in the army felt more or less the same way I think. I, you know, he was um, highly thought of an enthusiastic, willing, eager to learn young soldier. And I mean we've heard about some of the other soldiers at, at Deep Cut maybe weren't destined potentially to be such good soldiers as, as you allude Jeff you know may well have become um, you know there were lots of children that had come from from troubled backgrounds and had, had joined the army and, it, and Jeff doesn't sound was was one of those no I mean there's broadly people can fit into three different categories when they go into their basic training there are mm. the ones who stand out because they are outstanding they're the ones who stand out because they're not so good and then there is the great mass of ones in the middle who the ones that that don't linger in the memory for the people who who uh, instruct them and who served with them. And Jeff is certainly one of the ones who stuck out because he was better than average candidate. He really wanted to be there. He actually chose the Royal Logistic Corps, which is not something that everybody does. And he also had the physical attributes for it as well. He was a very keen runner and, you know, he, he did stand out. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, this was just after 9-11 when he died. I mean, less than a week after the attack on the on the Twin Towers, when the barracks would have been on really high alert, as was the rest of the UK. Yeah, I mean, from memory, I think the planes stopped flying for three days. Jeff was killed on the 17th, so, yeah, everybody was on high alert. Everybody was expecting another big attack somewhere and the military were all gearing up for whatever the response was going to be. Whatever might come. Let's just talk a little bit about the, the timeline with respect to this case for a minute because there have already been two other families that have already secured and, and had a second inquest. Uh, the families of Private Cheryl James and, and Private Sean Benton, um, both of which obviously we've followed very closely. In terms of the, the timeline for those inquests and, and then for the the Gray family, 
where do we sort of sit at the moment? The Grey family got their inquest, their second inquest sorted last year and the High Court said, the High Court Justice who, who decide these things said that there was a necessary or desirable in the interest of justice to... Uh, to have a second inquest so the the difference being that the Grey family aren't with the same legal team as the other three they've been out on their own since the start because the other two have been handled by Liberty it's John Cooper QC who is looking after the Grey family interests and he's a very different character both in court and how he is approaching the other legal teams and his approach to the disclosure it's a it's a very different feel as we start this one, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it, a lot of that is because the circumstances of Jeff's death are completely different to the first two. We can go into James Collinson again later, but with Jeff, it's five years, six years since Cheryl and Sean were killed. Um, mm. So it's very, it's different people. It's supposed to be a different regime at Deep Cut then. It's supposed to have been, you know, cleaned up and sorted out. And the way that John Cooper will go about handling this inquest is going to be markedly different, I would guess. He's quite combative and not afraid of being disliked. Apparently he quite revels in it, so... And he's already shown he's not not playing the game the same way same way everybody else was before. Yeah, and like you say, this was sort of about six years after the first two deaths at, at Deep Cut. Allegedly, the army had made lots of changes, and yet we have already heard in court in the pre-inquest review hearings that there were a number of incursions at the camp. There were several security incursions. There was underage drinking. There was all sorts of misbehaviour. I guess the best way of putting it, that was happening at the camp, despite the fact that these other two deaths had happened just a few years earlier and things had apparently been improved. Yeah, I mean, despite all of the reports and investigations and inquiries that the army undertook themselves, the same problems were still there. And I think we'll find out different problems as well. Uh, let's just talk for a moment about the, the, the Surrey police aspect of this case. Obviously, key to all of the inquests because they undertook initial investigations into the deaths of all the soldiers, particularly of Private Grey as well. Tell us a little bit about Colin Sutton, a key figure within Surrey Police at the time, and about his role in this case. His involvement begins when there's a review. Surrey Police decide to go back and look at the first two deaths and then eventually all four, and he was involved very closely in that, and eventually decided that he would go back to the Met where rather than stay on it, sorry, please. And what he was involved, what he was experiencing in the in the review, I think, played a part in his decision to go back to the Met. He's now become very high profile ex policeman because of his involvement in catching Levi Belfield as well. And of course, the the recent program on that case that's been on the television has brought that back to the public forefront as well, hasn't it? Yeah. So he, I think Martin Clunes played him. Now, in terms of the evidence that he potentially has to give, are we expecting to hear from him at this point? At the moment, there'll be a statement that he's given that'll be that'll be read into evidence, but no sign of him actually giving live evidence yet. And do you find that quite strange that he won't that he's not expected to give evidence that the coroner saying his, his statement is there? They, they don't need to question it. They don't need to query what he's saying. So they don't need to hear from him in person. But in terms of the family's expectation, I guess, and what they might want from this hearing and from somebody such as him who has looked into this case already, would you expect that we would hear from him in court at some point? Yeah. I would think so. I mean, I, I've spoken to him a few times, and if I was Jeff and Diane Gray, I think I'd want him in court to say in person what he's told me and others uh, already. 
yeah, I definitely want to include. And what have we learned so far? I mean, we've touched on some of it already, but in terms of the, you know, there's there's been a series of pre-inquest review hearings, um, which is sort of standard in a case, you know, such as this, before we get to the main inquest sort of starting. We've heard a few things. What else have we learned so far before we get to day one, if you like? Uh, we've learned that it's going to be a very busy courtroom and mm. you and I are going to have to be quick off or quick off the mark if we're going to get a seat. Which has been a problem at the other hearings as well at points, isn't there, where ordinarily you would have a press box and that would be where the media would be sitting and expected to sit. But actually the courtroom has been so busy previously that we've been lucky if there's been four or five seats, if at all, for the for the media. The pre-inquest hearings that uh, before the before Jeff starts on Tuesday have been been at the old Bailey. And not well. No, they've not all been at the old Bailey. They've mostly been at the old Bailey because um, it's more it's more convenient for everybody involved, and uh, they're much bigger court. Well, we've been in the bigger courtrooms. They have small mm. small ones at the Bailey as well, but um, we've mostly been in the, the ones that have been used for this case have been the bigger ones. Yeah, yeah, and. It's funny because the last one that you and I were at, the last time I'd been in that courtroom was for uh, Russell Bishop's murder trial for the the Babes in the Wood murders in Brighton. You know, we were sitting in front of the dock where he'd been sitting a, like a couple of weeks before. You know, the idea of an inquest is that it's an inquisitorial procedure where there's not supposed to be any sides to it. It's not supposed to be a battle. They're all supposed to be working towards finding out what happened, and it's not about being adversarial. And you and I both know that that's not really. It certainly isn't going to play out that way this time. And hasn't done in the past, but certainly not this time. In in terms of this anonymous letter that we heard about last time we were in court as well, just remind us who sent it? What does it mean? Do we think it's real? What's the sort of the significance of this? Because there was quite an argument about this in court in terms of how it had come about, the fact that it hadn't been disclosed straight away. Just just kind of remind us about that. You've you've written extensively a bit more extensively about this, but just remind us sort of about this anonymous letter. Well the disclosure of it is is um, an issue as well, as you say, because again going back to the process, because it's supposed to be a cooperative process where everybody is working towards the same aim. If you are if you come across something like an anonymous letter that's sent to you, then you you're supposed to hand it over right away. And um, Mr. Cooper didn't. So he had this letter sent to him at his chambers anonymously with no, you know, it was hand delivered and he hung on to it. And he did get a bit of a reprimand from, from the judge for that, but he kind of let him away with it. But yeah, he's supposed to hand these things over right away. So that kind of gives you an idea of how different this one is going to be because uh, he kept it for... What, three months? And by his own admission in court, he said that he kept it because he wanted to see if it was going to be of any value. And it all related to a statement that, that then came in, and after he had seen this statement, he then decided to hand it over. How much it means is... I mean, because we're familiar with it, I th- I think that the way it's written and the th- things that it deals with are more about the way the army functions rather than relating directly to Jeff's death. It talks about uh, reports and issues within the camp being referred up through the command chain. It sounds more like somebody trying to either justify or protect their own reputation rather than having any bearing directly on what actually happened to Jeff. It seems to be more about internal army politics than anything else. It's it's difficult to know whether anybody has an axe to grind because it's anonymous. It's not particularly detailed. 
that doesn't help you pin down where it might have come from. It also refers to finding out about one aspect of the of the inquest from reading about it in private eye, which not tend to add to its credibility, really. I mean, if you're... Yeah. If you're part of the process and part of the army chain of command involved, then you would know about it rather than reading it in private eye, yeah. And it's to do with who's been offered or who's, who's been granted interested person status. So if you were involved in it day-to-day, you would know that. Now, I was just going to quickly just ask about witnesses. We obviously will be hearing, once again, from a, a wide range of witnesses from we've already mentioned from Surrey Police, senior members of the military, people who served along t- alongside Jeff at the time, people involved in the chain of command for Jeff at the time. But there is this one particular witness that, that was talked about quite a lot at the last pre-hearing, who is based in Bulgaria and who appears to not be cooperating for some reason or other with the inquest process and not wanting to give evidence, not wanting to come back, not wanting to partake in the inquest in any way, shape or form, which is it's quite unusual. Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, the other thing is that the coroner is quite a powerful individual and it can compel people to, to give evidence, but an awful lot of what we're going to hear is probably going to be by video link because there are so many witnesses who are still serving, so... They could be currently stationed all over the world. Yeah, but this one uncooperative witness is apparently in Bulgaria and is obviously not still serving and is not cooperating. We can't really speculate for any particular reason as to what their motivations are for not wanting to cooperate, can we? And in terms of, there will obviously be a lot of expert witnesses as well, particularly on the forensic side, who will be giving evidence in, in court live rather than reports, which we've sometimes seen in the past. So, If expert evidence is gathered and supplied to the inquest and it's all in agreement then there's no need to get people in to give live evidence but in this case they are all giving live evidence which means that they don't agree yeah uh, in terms of the the other key players those that have followed the followed the previous uh, deep cut inquests into private james and private benton there will be names that they will be familiar with, characters that they will be familiar with from, from those two previous inquests. So the coroner, Peter Rook, Nicholas Moss is representing the Ministry of Defence and John Beggs will be the lead counsel on the for, for Surrey Police, once again, who is obviously quite a well-known legal figure. He is, yeah, and uh, not very popular with, uh, with all of the families. He made, well, he asked Des James a couple of questions at the on the first day of the Cheryl James inquest which didn't didn't sit very well with the families and so he's the he's been the baddie from then from then on. Nick Moss is the MOD's barrister and we all know him as being the guy who's got all of the information at his fingertips all the time and is extremely mm. thorough and solid on all of the details. We've talked a bit about John Cooper before and yeah, we're all expecting him to be a bit more of a showman. We're expecting it to be lively from the start. Yeah, well, we'll uh, see what happens during this inquest. And like we say, it's it's going to last uh, for a good six weeks or so. There is bound to be lots of elements of the case that we and others, you know, it's already in the public domain, that we and others are aware of, but there will undoubtedly be some extremely interesting points of evidence that we learn as we go along as well. So I think we do kind of point out as well that, that it's it's really unusual for, for us to be able to do this kind of thing during a, a court hearing like this because if this was a criminal trial, there's no way we'd be able to do it. Because there would be a jury, we would be potentially accused of being able to influence them, but because it is a coroner and there is no jury in this inquest, he cannot be influenced 
in any way we are able to talk quite freely about about the case yeah. aren't we? And, I, and I expect this one to be very different for, for a number of reasons but one, but one other reason that it will be different I think is because all through Cheryl and Sean while we all did our best to be there every day Diane Gray made her uh, best efforts to mm. be there every day as well and it's going to be very different for her this time around since it's it's her boy and I think that's 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 key really isn't it is actually in amongst all this we have to remember that it's a teenage boy and it's his parents trying to find out what actually happened in the final moments of his life I think this one is going to be different for us we've all spent a lot of time with Diane and Jeff as well but you know, Diane's done she's kind of tried to look after us all a bit as well hasn't she? <laughs> yeah I do feel I certainly feel like I kind of owe it to her a little bit to make sure I'm there as much as I can be and for us all to cover it as well as we, as we can because we've got something invested in it but nowhere near as much Well we will be updating the podcast weekly you can subscribe on iTunes and on all of the main podcast platforms we'll be discussing the main points of evidence from the past week and we are of course interested in hearing from you if you served at Deep Cuts if you knew Private Jeff Gray do follow us to keep up to date on all of the main points of evidence from Working Coroner's Court here and on Twitter Deep Cut, The Inquest.